Today's scripture comes from Malachi 1:11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great that the Lord's Oh, sorry. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Uh, I'm not preaching today. Uh, I have uh, somebody. Woo-hoo. Was that Kim? <laughs> what a hater! Um, I'm not. Uh, I just want to introduce you guys to, to my friend. Uh, this is uh, Chris Preby. Chris Preby is the uh, lead pastor at Missio de Peoria. Uh, we uh, gave to cultivate a few months back. His wife Bethany was here, um, so that's kind of you can connect there, and you can wonder why Bethany's with Chris. You can figure that out. Um, but Chris is going to be preaching for us today. Uh, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about him, and we're not going to get into a little introduction. You got your masters. You think you're all fancy. But I will say there's something about Missio de Peoria, and this is just a little bit of, I don't know if it's jealousy or what it is, but um, at Missio de Peoria, just so you guys are aware, Chris coming up here, we desire to do communities as well as Missio Peoria does. They're like the, um, they're like the, the uh, icon of all that, that. And most churches hope to get a certain amount of percentage that comes on Sunday into communities. Missio has more peoples in community than they do on Sundays. Um, and they just do community really well. They really do uh, meeting together in homes really well. And so I'm excited. Uh, we talked about him meeting. He's got an interesting text for us uh, in Malachi. I didn't want to preach this one, and you'll find out why. Um, so uh, anyway, if you guys can give it up for Chris real quick, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for him. Sorry, that's me. I'm going to pray for him real quick, and then, and then uh, I'll let him uh, jump in. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace. We pray that you would uh, bless Chris right now. Um, we have an awesome opportunity to sit under the word of God, and we pray that we'd use him to, to speak to us in it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning, Redemption. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's, it's a privilege for me. It's a blessing for me. I'm excited to worship with you and just singing with you and hearing you lift up your voices to the Lord is such a beautiful start to my week and to my morning today. So thank you for letting me be here. Real quick, uh, Sean touched on this, but my wife was here a little bit ago sharing about Cultivate, this nonprofit coffee shop we started to employ vulnerable youth, refugee, teens, kids aging out of the foster care system, those at risk of homelessness, and Sunny Slope. I just want to say, this is not a plug, because you guys already heard all that, uh, but I want to say, through that and her sharing, the way Redemption Peoria came and just blessed us, and above and beyond what you're giving, your tithes and offerings to the church here, how you gave above and beyond that to fund the mission that we're doing there, to continue to be able to employ some of those youth, I cannot express to you how much that meant to us uh, and just what a, what a joy that has been to us to see the body of Christ at work even across our brands and our logos and our names and our signs out there, right? And so thank you so much for that. Uh, my wife got to just share in some worship with you guys before and I was preaching at Missio that week so I couldn't be here. Now I get to share in worship with you and she's leading worship at Missio so she can't be here. So it's weird that we both experience a separate but I love that we both got to experience worshiping with you. So thanks again for, for letting me be here. What's cool is when Sean told me, uh, he, he asked me to come and preach, I was like, awesome, so what are we preaching in? What, what was, what's the text? What book are we in? And I don't think I found that out until like <laughs> uh, the day that we, he was like, well, there's this call. All the pastors of Redemption will be on uh, in a meeting to talk about the text. And I was like, cool, I think I can hop on a video chat for that. And then I get on the video chat, and he texts me. He's like, hey, 
we're covering this, and then we'll get to your text in a moment. And I was like, what is my text? <laughs> um, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, Sean. But, <laughs> but <laughs> once I saw the text, I was like, really? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And so, again, as Sean said, you'll see why. But also, I was super excited because we just went through, with the Missio, we just took them through the entire book of Daniel. Yeah. It's not just like fun little kid stories about nice purring kitten lions, you know, in a den. And it's also not just this crazy prophetic voice that you hear, although there's some of that too. But what it is, is it's a shaping a people, God's people, to live faithfully to God in the midst of their exile. And so a little backstory on that is God had called a people to be his representative people, to be a light to the nations. He was going to bless them so they would be a blessing to everyone else. So everyone else would see and know how good God is. And they failed at that miserably. Over and over and over again. And then God sends a prophet, Jeremiah, to warn them, hey, you're going to go into exile. Because of the way that you have been continually turning your back on me, I'm sending this nation, Babylon, to come and bring you into captivity. But this is for your own good. Like, this is so that you will turn back to me, turn your hearts to me again. And so he warns them about this exile. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to build parks there, and I want you to build relationships there, and I want you to live your lives there as my people, as my representatives, the way you should have been doing this all along. And so they go into exile, and we find that story in the book of Daniel. But now, as, as we're in Malachi here with you, what's cool about this for me is I get to come out on the other side of that story. A hundred years after, God finally lets them go back and rebuild the temple. And so they're still under captivity. They're still under the oppression of another nation, another government. But in God's mercy, he allows the Israelites to go back and to rebuild their temple and rebuild the city walls and return to their way of life as Israelites, as God's chosen people who are blessed to bless others. And so they're back doing this, and a hundred years have passed, and how well do you think they've been doing? Not very well, right? Enter Malachi. And so Malachi, the, the last book of the Old Testament, before we turn into Matthew and the New Testament, Malachi, before a 400-year period of silence between God and his people comes, Malachi is saying, listen, you guys, we're messing it up again. We're not very good at this. What is going on? And there's some pretty harsh language there, in fact. And so last week you heard, as Sean was preaching, that God first comes and he says, you're asking, how have I loved you? Which is a crazy question. He goes, I have loved you greatly. But you ask, how? How have you loved me? Does anyone in here have kids? Do you ever have like, that moment when your kid is like, and if you don't have kids, you either have seen this kid or you've been this kid, where you're like, you don't care about me, you don't love me, you hate me. I'm like, seriously? All right, so I have three boys. I have twins that are 11 years old, and then I have a seven-year-old, and I didn't start losing my hair until the third kid came. A lot of people are like, oh, you started off with twins, that must have been difficult. I was like, you haven't met my youngest yet. He's a sweetheart, and, and thankfully, like, God's working on his soul, but 
there's been some rough moments. And one of those moments I remember vividly was we took these kids to Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, right? And we're at Disneyland, and then we, it's time to leave the park. And my youngest son, he's five at the time, he looks at me and he goes, why are we leaving? And I said, it's 11 p.m. And he goes, this is the worst day ever. (laughs) And so I needed to be sanctified in the moments that came after that. But it was just like, are you kidding me? Like, we just did all this for you. And where's your gratitude, right? Like that question, how have you loved us, God, is exponentially more atrocious than that. Like, are you kidding me? And so I, I sat down with my youngest, and I've done this so many times. Like, look, are you, this is what we've done for you. How are you showing us that you love us right now? I had those questions, like, when, when he hits his brothers, how are you showing your brothers that you love them right now? And so what we see this morning is God then turns the question back on them. Oh, how have I loved you? Let me tell you how. And he answers the question in his grace, but then he goes, How have you loved me? And that question should sit with all of us this morning. As we turn to Malachi 1, starting in verse 6 right now, don't just hear this word spoken to Israelites thousands of years ago. How have you loved me, God asks. I want to read Malachi 1, verse 6. We'll read a few verses. We'll pause. We'll reflect on the text. We'll keep going. Pause, reflect on the text. I want to make sure we hit every verse in this, even the one that I read and said, oh, this is why Sean asked me to preach. So verse 6, God says, A son honors his father. At least that's the way it's supposed to be, right? A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests. Who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? This is pretty harsh condemnation on them, right? Evil. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Pause right there. We just read, says the Lord of hosts quite a few times. All right, and so there's some context of what that means. It doesn't mean necessarily God is like the host of a dinner party, right? Like that's the kind of, you know, God, we want a picture right now, but no, no, no. The host, when you ever hear or read about a host of angels in the scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, that word means an army. This is the God of an army. So this is a big deal. This, is a, this person is great who we're talking about. And what he's saying is, listen, in your culture, because in our culture, as I just explained with my family, it, this, this doesn't happen quite so much, but in this culture, you honor your dad in the house, right? You honor your father. There's great respect given there because there were a lot of dire consequences if you did not. And God's going, you honor your fathers. He's going, 
slaves honor their masters, what about me? Where's my honor? The Lord of armies, the God of gods, the King of kings. And so they ask, they go, what's the big deal? What, What are we doing that's not honoring you? And he answers them. What are they doing? When you bring blind or lame or sick animals as your sacrifices. So to give us some context, we got to know why sacrifice, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But what we want to know right now is that God had set up this system, this transactional system, in a sense, between he and his people to say, listen, you've blown it. You've rebelled against me. You've turned away from me. You've spat in my face. You've defamed my name. But I love you. I'm your God. I promised I would always be your God. You would always be my people. I will continue pursuing you. And I'm going to allow you a way to come back into my presence. And so God sets up this system of sacrifice with them. So if you would take this spotless, that means an animal without defect, with no blemishes, with no problems, like a physically pure, perfect animal, and bring this animal to the altar and sacrifice. I know it sounds weird, right? We'll talk more about why later. Bring this animal, the blood of this animal would then cover the sins that you have been committed, the ways you have turned away from God, the ways you have rebelled against him as king, as the God of armies. And they would allow you to enter into this community of God's people once again, as clean, as pure. And what the people were doing in this time is they weren't bringing the perfect animal. And we'll read this in a moment. It's not that they didn't have access to these perfect animals. But they were just bringing, oh, you know what? Yeah, this one's got a a messed up leg. Like, you can take that one. Oh, this one's blind. It keeps running into walls. Take that one. I got a dog at home, Millie. I'm not a super big fan of. My kids love her. That's the only reason we still have her. But let me tell you, like, I would sacrifice that dog in a heartbeat. (laughs) These are the types of animals that they're bringing, right? And they're going, yeah, yeah, sure, have this one, God. And he's going, that's no. What if you were to present that to your governor? Remember, they're still under the rule and oppression, the authority of another nation. So there's a governor set over them who's not an Israelite, who's not one following the Lord. And he's going, bring that to that man and see if he appreciates that. What do you think? Like when you have an important house guest over, when you're that kind of host, and you have someone come over, maybe you have the mayor, right, of Phoenix come over, like politics aside, you're going to go like, I'm going to bring out the fine china, not the paper plates, right? You're going to want to be a good host. You're going to want to show up and, and bring the best and put that forward. So he's going, do that with your governor. See how they respond. How much more the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the God of gods, the King of kings, You just don't care. And then we get this verse. This, honestly, even more so than another verse later, which you'll see why I wasn't sure about preaching this text. This one is the one that stops me dead in my tracks. Verse 10. God is speaking here. And he says, Oh, that there were one among you. He's talking to the priests that there were one among you who would shut the doors. He's talking about the doors to the temple. 
that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Can you imagine God right now going, oh, redemption, don't even open the doors this morning to Centennial. Don't even bother showing up. Don't even walk in. Don't even half-heartedly lift your hands while you're mouthing the words to the songs. Don't even think about putting some change into the offering. I don't want it. I'm not pleased with it. This is when you're a guest preacher, you can say things, right? Can you imagine that? Don't even bother. One of my older sons, one of my twins, said that he was going to raise some money to buy us Christmas presents this year, to buy presents for his mom and I and his brothers. And I was like, that's great. That's awesome. And so he, he worked and he raised money. And I take him to the store and he goes in the store and he starts looking around and he comes over and he's like, Dad, um, since this is my money, uh, which by the way, I gave him that money <laughs> from doing like minimal chores. Since this is my money, it's not really bad if I just, like, buy me something instead, right? And I was like, boy. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I don't need a $5 gift from my son. I guess I can learn to get by without that, right? That wasn't the point. But I, I'm trying to teach my son to be a man of his word. And I was like, okay, here's the deal. This is your money. You could do whatever you want with it. What did you say you were going to do with it? To the Israelites, when Moses comes down from the mountain hundreds of years before this, and he comes down with the law, and the Israelites are like, God, we will do all that you say. We'll do it. You've been a good God. You've rescued us out of slavery, out of captivity. We're yours. So I go, son, what did you say you were going to do with it? He's like, he doesn't even answer the question because he knows where I'm going. He's like, well, here's the thing, like, um, I've, I've been trying to save up money for this thing, and like you guys, you're fine. <laughs> you're going to be okay. <laughs> like, what did you say you're going to do, son? I don't need your present. It's fine. But what did you say you were going to do? And I just let him sit with that. Now, on Christmas Day, he gives these presents to us that he spent his money on. That's cool. That's fine. I got to tell you, in that moment, I was like, I don't even want your present. Just don't give it to me. Just don't even bother. And you got to feel like that's how the Lord of hosts, of armies of angels, is feeling in this moment. Like, I don't, just don't even show up to the temple. I'm done. But my son comes, and not only does he give us the presents, but then he goes, you guys, I'm really sorry. I was selfish. This is my 11-year-old. I was selfish, and I was just thinking about what I wanted. But you guys have been so good to me, and so I just wanted to give this to you. And that got me. I was like, all right, I could work with this. And I, and I think this is what God is longing for. Like, repent, come back, and go, God, we're in need. We are so sorry. You've done so much for us. And God's like, all right, open those doors back up, Right? But, but in this moment, I want us to feel this. This is not where Israel's at in the moment. He's like, just shut the doors. And he's speaking to the priests. He's speaking to the ones who are running the show, so to speak. 
Like, all of Israel is guilty of this because they're bringing their terrible offerings to the Lord. But the priests are the ones accepting it. The priests are the ones allowing this to go on and continue. The priests are the ones who are opening the doors and saying, yeah, let's do this. And so God's coming hard on them. Verse 11. God says this, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Do you remember that time when Jesus was riding into town and everyone was like, Hey, these people are worshiping you. They're praising your name. Tell them to stop. And Jesus goes, if they stop, even the rocks are going to cry out my name. All of creation will praise me eventually. That's kind of what God's saying here. The same God in the Old Testament, the same God in the New Testament. He's going, listen, I will get my praise because I am great. But you, verse 12, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And he snored at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. They have it. He's calling them cheats. You you have it to give, and you're holding back. You're hedging your bets. And you're going, what a weariness this is. God, this is tiring. Like showing up, it's tiring. Serving, it's tiring. Being in community with people who are messy like I am, it's tiring. Serving the least and the lost and the broken in the city, it's tiring. Finding the, the perfect spotless animal as a sacrifice, it's tiring. Giving it and knowing that then I, I can't make money off of that, that's tiring. What are the things we are coming before the Lord and going, this guy's is tiring. You don't know what you're asking of me. And God's grace in that moment, when they're like, what a weariness this is. He doesn't go, what a weariness it is being your God. Right? How tiring is that? Pursuing a people who constantly fail you, who constantly turn away from you, who constantly disrespect you. And going, no, no, no. Come back. I love you. I love you over and over and over again. The fact that this conversation, as harsh as it is, is happening, shows God's grace and his mercy and his patience. Let's continue into chapter 2. Because you know, this wasn't broken up into chapters when it was first written, right? It came later. And now, O priests, this command is for you. So Sean said this morning, he goes, yeah, since this is directed more toward the priests and toward the leaders, I thought, man, it would be really good for you to just get up there and blast me right now. <laughs> and so he didn't say it like that. And so that's what I'm going to do. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. 
But there is something to that. God, God is starting with his people before the rest of the nations. And not only with his people, God is starting with the priests who are called to mediate on behalf of his people. And so, listen, if, if there's an illness and a sickness from the top, it trickles down. So God's speaking directly to his priests. The people are bringing these sacrifices, and God's going, you priests, listen up. Take that for what it's worth. I'm not going to preach on that. If you will not listen, he says, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Remember God said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And now he's going, you've brought the curse upon yourself. Verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. There it is. That's the kind of verse you invite a guest preacher for. I will spread dung on your faces. So let's soften this a little bit. In the original language, that word dung meant, well, it meant dung. It's the same. So he's saying, I will take from these blemished sacrifices the feces of the animals, and I'm going to smear it on your faces, and I'm going to send you away. How mad do you have to be at somebody to say that? And, and all right, so I, when I was younger, we had this dog. Not very good track record with dogs this morning as I'm sharing these stories. And my dad would get so mad when she would make on the carpet. And so he would come and he would grab her and stick her nose into it and be like, You see what he did to, like, shame her, right? And so there's a level of shame with this, but I don't think that's what God's doing. God's not trying to, like, rub your noses in this priest and go, like, oh, you see what you did? You see, oh, you stink. That's not the point. we got to get context, right? So what would happen with these animal sacrifices is there's parts of the animals you just can't use. And not only do you not want to use, but you don't want to keep around, right? And so what they would do is they would take these parts of the animals, including the intestines that had dung inside of them still. And they would remove them from the camp and burn it. They don't want it anywhere near the camp. It stinks. It's unclean. Get this out. And they would burn it up as if it were never there. And God is saying, when you accept these sacrifices, when you bring these sacrifices, you're just as unclean and dirty as that. I'm going to remove you from my camp. I'm associating you with this as I smear it on your face, and you will be taken out of the camp with it. Like, if you're one of the priests right now, Malachi's saying, this is what God said, you're either going, there's no way God said that, and you're trying to, like, fight against it and convince yourself, or you're just broken. Really? That's what God is saying he's going to do with me? Take you out of here. It's heavy. Don't worry, there's more. Verse 4 
So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi, this is the original priest he set up, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood came out of Levi, right? That my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. He's going, listen, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Like, this is a harsh word, but this is not the way I set it up and I intended it. My covenant was one of love and peace, he says, of life and peace. And I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. God's saying, let me paint you a picture of what this is supposed to look like. Right? Like, Levi wasn't a perfect person, but he's painting a picture for these priests to see, this is what I've called you to. For the lips of a priest, verse 7, should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Listen. I want us to hear this morning. God is not just speaking to those in leadership in this room. God had called all of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. A royal priesthood. He's starting with the priests of Israel who are leading the people of Israel astray. But all of Israel was leading the entire creation astray. And so, family, redemption, church, if you are in Jesus, you, do you know that you are called to continue in that? To be a royal priesthood? What that means is that you're a display to the rest of the world around you watching of who God is and what he's like. That you as a community, not just an individual, are to live in a way in this world in such a way that people see and go, wow, this God is amazing. What are the things you're bringing to the temple, to the altar? What are you laying on the table? Are you coming half-heartedly? with your sacrifices. Now I know this isn't like a feel-good message, but I get to leave after this, so I'm comfortable with that. But even more than that, listen, there's still good news to come. Like I said, the fact that God's having this conversation, such mercy and patience. But, the fact that he continues the conversation 400 years after this, the fact that his word comes once again to his people physically in true form, and he becomes the priest that the people needed. Hebrews says, we no longer have a priest like them who would fail us, and even those good priests would fail us when they would die. No, we have a priest that now lives forever on our behalf, mediating between us and God. Not only do we have a priest, but we have a sacrifice now that is pure and spotless, without blemish, without defect, perfect. 
So now we have a perfect priest, a perfect sacrifice, who has now brought us into the house of God. No longer shut the doors of this temple, I don't want you near me, but no, 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 building us to be the house of God. That's incredible that we are being built into the very dwelling place of God. It's no longer in this physical building of a temple, but it's you and I as the church. And I I want us to see, not only did they see this hundreds of years later, not only did their descendants get this good news, but turn with me if you will. I, I didn't give them this slide, but go to Zechariah. It's just the book right before Malachi. Don't grab too many pages because they're super thin pages, and you will miss it. It's short. Zechariah chapter 3. This is another prophet, and he has a vision. Chapter 3 of Zechariah, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. Okay, we're getting a picture of a priest here again, standing on behalf of God's people. Standing before the angel of the Lord and of Satan, the Satan, the accuser. He was standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. He doesn't turn to Joshua and rebuke him. At the very beginning of the story of the world, when God's in the garden and he sees the people have messed up, as his representatives on behalf of him to the rest of creation. Who does he curse? He turns to the serpent first. And he says, there will be a day where one will crush your head. And then when he turns back to his people, everything they're about to hear is now in light of that good news promise. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you will work through thorns and thistles. Childbearing will be difficult. There will be death, but... Remember, let that echo in your head. There will be one who will come and crush the head of the serpent. So in this, in this picture here in Zechariah, God turns to Satan to rebuke him, not the priest. I just lost it. This page is thin. Zechariah chapter 3. So he says, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan, in verse 2. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now listen to this, verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The picture you should have in your head is like when God says, all of your good deeds are like filthy rags to me, which is like rags that have been made filthy by the menstrual cycle. I know. Gross, right? The other word that this is often translated to here is talking about feces. Dung. Are we making connections? Connect those dots. This is what Joshua is clothed in. Standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. As the psalm says, as far as the east is from the west. Remove those filthy garments from him. And instead, and to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And instead, I will clothe you with pure vestments. Gotta love the ESV sometimes, just vestments as clothes, okay? He says, you know what? You're clothed in filth. I'm taking that from you. You can't go wash it off yourself. 
I'm removing that from you. It's gone. And I am clothing you in pure, clean clothes now. I've rebuked your accuser. And you now stand innocent before me. There is coming a day when God will no longer tell his priests of Israel, I'm smearing dung on your faces and casting you out of this camp. Instead, he himself comes to be the priest and to be the sacrifice who takes all of the filth of our offerings upon himself. That he is removed from the camp when they bury him in his tomb. Do you know that that's what's happened for you? Because this is, this is the whole point. With these sacrifices, with these half-hearted sacrifices, what the people are doing and hedging their bets is saying, yeah, I, I think I, I've got another way over here for me, right? They aren't recognizing their true need. Because the whole reason sacrifices were introduced, do you know when the first time it happened was? We just talked about the scene, it was in the garden. Then when he comes to them and he rebukes the accuser and he turns to his people, not only does he also give them these warnings of what they were about to go through, but he clothes them in animal skins. Their shame, their nakedness, their rebellion against him is being covered by the blood of some other. This is where sacrifices were introduced into the story of the world. And so for the people to come with these half-hearted sacrifices, they were forgetting that they were in desperate need to be clothed of their shame. They were forgetting that they were in desperate need to be able to stand before God without the accuser being right. They were forgetting about their desperate need for God to remove all that from them and to make them stand clean and pure. You don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. But what you do need is to remember your need for a sacrifice. Remember your utter, desperate need for a clean, pure, perfect, unblemished, without defect sacrifice to be made on your behalf. And then hear this good news. It has been made through Jesus He has been that for you. You no longer have to worry about what you're bringing to the table, but you need to remember that one has brought it for you on your behalf. And listen, church, if we go through life with that understanding, with that deep recognition, we are in need of the sacrifice and reminding ourselves that that sacrifice has been made through Christ. We will stand clothed pure, before the Lord of armies, the God of gods, the King of kings. Would you pray with me, Redemption? God, as even I'm standing here now, and as I've prepared this week, as I've read your word, God, I can't help feel like those priests, that who am I to stand here with you, before you? God, we're so grateful that you have given us your grace, your mercy, 
that you have not left us in our shame and in our sin and in our filth, but you have removed that from us and you have clothed us with your pure righteousness. God, we ask in the power of your spirit to the glory of the Father that we, as your people, your church here in Phoenix, would be clothed in Jesus and his righteousness. That as we leave this place, we would remember our need for you and we would go being clothed in you, showing the world as your kingdom of priests who you are and what you are like. We can only do this by your grace and by your power. So it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.